2: Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, whether at the East Centre, Bukit Panjang Centre, and Woodland Centre, and of course all of you who are at home. Nowadays, I heard there's a new greeting exchange. Did you get it? Did you get it? People say, "Wow, so so happy! I got a C minus. Never see people got a C minus anyway." And then those who get C plus seems to be even happier for some reason. Yeah. And so, yes, I was C plus. On the second day of Chinese New Year, I had all my uh, isolation and so on, and so I'm still nursing a a dry cough, so first service was doing quite good. So in case I I have some cough later on, don't worry, I'll, I'll turn away from you, all right? I think this past week certainly threw the world into another downward spiral. The European Affairs Chief lamented, these are among the darkest hours of Europe since Second World War. So as Pastor Edmund shared with us, let's be in prayer during this Lent season, not just for ourselves, but for the church, for the world to be ready to meet with King Jesus as He has led us in this spiritual burden this year. For well, today, we will continue with the exposition on First Thessalonians. For the past two weeks, you have seen how in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we saw the incredible transformation of lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this resulted in the birth of a young, vibrant church community that became an exemplary model to all in Macedonia and Archaea, which is a huge area. Today, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, and essentially, it is an elaboration of 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, which reads, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. As we have seen how the writings begin after they ministered in Thessalonica. They had to do a quick exit because of persecution. Time passed by, and for some reasons, there were criticisms on Paul's ministry and on his integrity. Now, we don't know for sure who these accusers are. Were they the Jewish hostile persecutors? Were they the church folks who felt abandoned by the team? Or were they the Gentile oppositions that arose within the city itself after the formation of the church but from 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 onwards today Paul began to defend his life and ministry to chapter 3 verse 10 and essentially is to elaborate on what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and as mentioned in 1 verse 5 b so would you open up your scriptures the bible whether manual or physical copy or digital copy. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, reading from the ESV Bible. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toy, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any one of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I'd like to suggest that chapter 1 underscores the transforming power of the gospel message in the lives of the Thessalonian believers. But chapter 2 underscores the transforming ministry of the gospel messenger among the Thessalonians. Today, we will explore what kind of gospel messengers Paul and his team were. Now, if last Sunday's sermon title was, Wow, What a Church! Then this Sunday's sermon is, Wow, What a Messenger! So please pray with me as we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Our Lord God Almighty, You say You will build a church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You have given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven so that we may be your consecrated and spirit-filled messengers. Light your fire in us once again as we listen to your word. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning you will see that God's gospel messengers need to demonstrate two authentic realities. The first, that our motive in sharing our faith needs to be pure. Our motive in sharing our faith needs to be pure. As I read through verse 1 to 9, you may have noticed several antithetical parallels framed by these two words, not and but. Or not, but, nor, Because Paul carefully contrasts the proper and the improper lifestyles of a messenger. And the first set of contrasts clearly highlighted the motive of the messenger. Why do we do what we do? Or in the devotional journal, why do we say what we say? Allow me to explain this in brief. Look at verse 3. Paul says he did not preach the gospel from error or impurity. Verse 4, not to please men. Verse 5, not with a pretext for greed. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people. When Paul says he did not do this from error or impurity, in other words, it means that he was preaching the gospel in truth and not falsehood. And they were doing so even though the gospel message was offensive to the hearers. It was also done with uprightness and integrity. Why? Because it was common amongst the travelling religious leaders in those days to indulge in sexual sins when they do their public ministries. In verse 4, 5 and 6, When he says he did not do it to please men, not with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek glory from people. I'll take all this in one whole lot. The idea of pleasing men is not simply to be a man pleaser, but often it's to render a service in order to get some special favours. And Paul here says, I did not do this, preach the gospel for any financial gain or greed. Neither did I do this to seek any praise and glory from people. Yes, Paul's motive was pure. How so? Here comes the contrasting motives. Verse 4, he says, we have been approved by God. At the end of verse 5, God is witness. It is no small thing to appeal that God is witness to our lives. In other words, he appealed to God as the primary tester and approver of his heart that no man can see but what God can see. And the word "approve" here has the idea of a successful result of examining something or someone. Now, quite clearly, Paul's conversion experience, his call to the ministry by the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus appeared to him in Acts 9 personally, and three years of exile training in Arabia was sufficient evidence here of this servant of God. He was approved by God and therefore entrusted with the sacred gospel. God is witness. In summary for point one, Paul demonstrated that the motive in sharing the gospel was pure before God and before people. It was not to please any man, nor to get any money or fame, but it is to please God, be approved by God, and thereby carry the responsibility and stewardship to become gospel messengers with a pure heart. Allow me to pause at this time for our own application. Let's examine our own motive. That in sharing our faith with others, I don't think many of us today will think that sharing the gospel will bring us fame or make us rich. In fact, in our day and age, many of us shy away from identifying ourselves as Christians for fear that Christians might be accused of being bigoted, intolerant, and backward. Have any you heard stories of Christians who worked in a certain office for the longest time, and one day, suddenly, the colleagues discovered, huh, you are Christian. Huh? Somehow, it was an undercover Christian, yeah. And we all know it's very easy to shy away talking about gospel truths as others might attack and even shun us today. Therefore, it's very easy whether in our schools or in our workplace to find approval and acceptance from the culture and people around us. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I find my approval from God. I find my acceptance from God. Brothers and sisters, we do have a true living and life-transforming gospel, don't we? And if we have a credible and historical faith that Christianity has lasted more than two millenniums, if Jesus is not real, if Jesus has not been resurrected, if the Bible that you and I read is not credible, then Christianity wouldn't have made it to this stage. But no, it grew and it multiplied and it reached each one of us. And I trust that means it changed us. It transformed our hearts and our spirit. Therefore, I think the greater problem that we face today is not the gospel message. The greater problem we face today are the gospel messengers. Because bottom line, are we legit? Are we credible? Because I found out that people can disagree with what you say, but they cannot deny who you are. And if our motive is sincere and pure, with a heart to please God and to seek the truth, then I don't see why people will throw stones at us when we share the gospel. As Dr. Billy Graham once said, We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing. We are the sermons the world is heeding. Another anonymous quote that blessed me very much this week, live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. How powerful that is. When I was working in the Air Force in the 80s, I inherited a title from my colleagues. They call me Here Comes the Holy Joe. Yeah. I didn't like it at first because I thought they were just making fun at my faith and me. And honestly, I wasn't as holy as they thought I was because God knows my heart. After some time, I took it as a compliment. Why? Day and night, I work with my friends. We work hard. We have gone through crises together when there are air crashes and people die. We have gone on overseas attachment for one to two months where you live in the same quarter together. And people would have seen you for who I am. seen me for who I am and what I stand for. Of course, I'm by no means perfect in any way. But surely I can say, by God's grace, I sought to live my Christian faith as best as I could and to love people for who they are. And each time when we had an opportunity to talk about life, talk about our faith, I don't have someone saying to me, just sit down and shut up. No. There has always been a decent, reasonable, exchange and conversation, a conversation that I believe honours God and is appealing to my friends. Brothers and sisters, I share this not to put myself on a pedestal, but I share this as a point for all of us. If all of us at our workplace, in our family, if people see us for who we are and our motive is sincere and pure, I believe we would have gained a friend. And later on, we would gain a hearing. And at God's appointed time, we will be able to share the best thing that has happened to our life, the transforming grace and love of Jesus Christ. So yes, as a covenant community, let's ask God to help us to live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Right, sisters, the Apostle Paul and his team were God's appointed messengers and they shared their faith with a pure motive. Not only must our motive in sharing our faith be pure, the second authentic reality we need to demonstrate is that our manner in sharing the Gospel must be Genuine. Needs to be genuine. We'll now look at the second set of contrasts in the text to see how the manner or the methodology in sharing the gospel needs to be genuine. Verse 3, Paul says, I did not do this with any attempt to deceive. Verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery. Verse 9, Not to be a burden to anyone. Again, let me comment on this briefly. Verse 3, attempt to deceive. The word deceive or trick originally refers to catching fish by means of a bait. And therefore, it now carries the metaphorical meaning of deceit, cunningness, or treachery. And Paul says, no, I I did not use any dishonest means to trick people into believing the message. Verse 5, words of flattery. One scholar remarked the word carries with it the idea of various means and ways by which one seeks to gain influence over another, generally for his own ends. And when we keep in view the selfish conduct of many hidden rhetoricians of the day, we can easily understand how such a charge might come to be laid upon the apostles. Verse 9, not a burden. Well, we all know Paul didn't want to be a burden to anyone. It's clear from all his missionary journeys. He didn't want to be a financial burden to the people. That's why he worked as a tent maker to support himself as he preached the gospel throughout Asia Minor. And that means putting a lot, a lot of long and laborious hours. And therefore, it's very encouraging for us to see how Paul here, in his tent making work, integrates also with gospel-sharing work. Right, sisters, we can see how Paul and his team ensured their manner in sharing their faith was genuine by not deceiving or flattering or burdening the people. But instead, the Bible tells us they did the following. Verse 2, They showed boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Verse 7, But we were gentle among you, Verse 8, part A, affectionately desirous of you. Verse 8, part B, share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. And finally, verse 9, labour or toy, worked day and night. Now, there's a lot of outstanding traits over here to show us how Paul consciously, in the manner that he does his work, was above born. Verse 2, let me commend. Verse 2 on bonus, Paul surely had bonus in proclaiming, you've already read it, no amount of suffering in Philippi or Thessalonica would stop him from declaring the gospel. This was a man of steel. At the same time, verse 7 tells us he was so gentle. Now, what most translations use the word gentleness, translate as gentleness. Later Greek manuscripts do point out to the translation of the word infants instead. So, here's the deal. Gentleness is easy to understand because it's likened to a nursing mother who cares for their own children. But if this Greek word refers to infants, then Paul is simply saying that they were as innocent as children among them. Verse 8, part A, affectionately desirous. This Greek term here, desirous means desire greatly or long for. It is a word found in tombstone inscriptions that tells how parents miss their deceased children. And Paul expressed such an earnest affection and longing towards the Thessalonians as a parent will long for an absent child. Verse 8, part B, sharing our own self. This deep love for the Thessalonians make Paul not just share the gospel message, which is important, but their very selves, So you could say that the messengers gave not just the message, but they gave their whole heart, their whole soul to the people. Finally, verse 9, labour and toy. The word labour and toy suggests a kind of work that brings about great exhaustion and fatigue. And therefore, obviously, tent-making work is no cushy desk job. The Scripture says they had to work night and day. Allow me therefore to pause in our point two for some applications for ourselves. You can see what an amazing set of contrasts that shows the manner by which the Apostle Paul and his team shared their faith. It is with great genuineness. Therefore, who would not believe the message if they saw how Paul and his team delivered the message? It was so genuine. Bonhoeffer Said this, he says, your life as a Christian should make non non believers question their disbelief in God. Or another anonymous quote: Live in such a way that if anyone should speak badly of you, no one would believe it. I love this because more often than not, people say something of, to you. Everybody believe in it, huh? This is the unfortunate world, yeah. We rather believe in rumors. Brothers and sisters, if the gospel is true, then how can we deny it? How can we hide it? How can we proclaim the gospel naturally, faithfully, with a genuine heart and spirit? Isn't it true that many non Christians often dismiss the claims of the gospel? by pointing to a lack of integrity that many believers exemplify. And they're especially quick to ridicule fallen preachers or pastors and leaders who have preached the gospel for their own fame or gain. Now, friends, we don't have to look too far to judge others. Let's examine our hearts and judge ourselves. Do we uphold a life of integrity that is consistent to the Gospel message. Do we display traits that the Apostle Paul describes in chapter 2 here? They were innocent as an infant, as loving as a nursing mother. And then subsequently, verse 11, as nurturing as a father. Yes, people live in such a way that if anyone speaks badly of you, no one would believe it. That will be such a testimony. A few years after my mom prayed to receive Christ, and that's really a number of years ago, there was an afternoon I was having a conversation with her and I asked her this, Mom, what made you consider Christ and made Him your Savior? What made you consider Christ and make Him your Savior? Because, you know, our parents don't talk much about things like this. So I was very curious to find out what's behind her mind. And I never forgot what she said to me that afternoon. He said, son, it's because I saw how Jesus changed all of your lives. Your life, your sister, and your brother's life. Wow, may God change us so that those around us testify of the gospel message that is within us. Right, sisters, in conclusion, These are two authentic realities the messengers of God need to demonstrate. Number one, our motive in sharing our faith needs to be pure. Secondly, our manner in sharing our faith needs to be genuine. Now we will all gladly say in Christianity there is no dispute as to the power of the gospel message. No dispute. For some time now, I've been, last year until this year, I started working with some of the prison fellowship volunteers, and many of them are ex-prisoners. And you hear this constant testimony, one to the other, one to the other. And they will say this to you, my life never changed. I kept coming in and out and in and out until I met Jesus. Until I met Jesus. But we also got to realise it is very unfortunate we have heard this too often from our non-Christian friends. They will say things like, Oh, if so-and-so is a Christian, I will never want to be one! Or if so-and-so is a Christian, how can I believe in the message? So allow me to address two groups of people as I close. First, let me talk to some of you who may be non-Christians, listening to this message and especially those online as well. If you are not a Christian and you find hard to believe in Jesus because of the lives of some Christians, then I want to make a special appeal to you this morning. I want to say to you, it is Jesus who loves you. It is Jesus who gave His life for you. It is Jesus who says, I want to give you An abundant life. Don't worry about the person that stumbles you, because that person didn't die for you. And because Jesus is the one who wants to start this precious relationship with you, the key question you need to be asking is: Is Jesus true? Is Jesus real? And if you are drawn by Jesus and His life today and His love, then all other people and all other things should not matter. Let Jesus take care of those people. But you take care of yourself. Because this is a personal invitation from Jesus to you that will change your life forever. He has come to give you life and life abundantly. Therefore, why reject this good gift that He has given to you? And if these words strike a chord in your heart, Today, where you are, if you're a non-Christian and you want to know Jesus and receive this gift of precious relationship with Him, where you are, wherever you are right now, just repeat this simple prayer after me. In your heart, God hears you. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for what you have done for me. Please forgive me of all my sins. I commit all my burdens to you today. I invite you into my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have said this prayer quietly in your heart, I want you to know that God hears your prayer. And after the service, there will be a QR code. Please scan the QR code because we would love to get in touch with you and show you how to grow this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me speak to all of us who are fellow believers. If you and I are believers and we are disciples of Jesus, then God has a sacred mission for us. We have a sacred stewardship to Jesus by being His authentic messenger. And therefore, to ask the Holy Spirit, empower us to be God's pure and genuine messenger. Of course, it's not going to be a breeze. But we can fully rely on the sufficiency of Jesus and His gospel to touch and transform lives. And what we need to ask God is to do, Lord, change me. Make me the Christ-like messenger of the gospel to my unbelieving family, friends and colleagues. And we know we have hurt someone who is a non-believer. Or we know a non-believer has something against us or offended by us. It's never too late to say sorry and make amends for the sake of the gospel. It will go a long way for this person to come to know Jesus Christ. And therefore, may people around us stand and applaud. Oh, what a messenger of God. Let me close with this true story. As the war erupted in Ukraine this past week, the Gospel Coalition Ministry published this testimony written by a pastor on the 24th of February just a couple of days ago, and the headline of that article reads, To Stay and Serve, Why We Didn't Flee Ukraine. This is what he said, and I've chosen some excerpts, and along the way, you'll see some on the screen. He said, in recent weeks, nearly all the missionaries have been told to leave Ukraine. Western nations evacuated their embassies and citizens. Traffic in the capital of Kyiv. This is very hard to pronounce, right? So if I do so wrongly, please forgive me. People in the capital are disappearing. Where did the people go? And he said, My wife and I have decided to remain in our city. And in anticipation of the coming disaster, we've bought a supply of food, medicine, and fuel so that if necessary, we'll be able to help those in need rather than burden them. I told my children, pack your backpacks. Pack enough things for three days. In the past, such packing meant that we were going on a vacation or a fun trip. So our younger children, six and eight years old, have been asking Dad, where are we going? At first, I didn't know what to answer. He went on to say, how should a church respond when there is a growing threat of war, when there is a constant fear in society? I'm convinced that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. Churches that have been with people during testing times have received the highest trust from society. As tensions have risen, Our church announced a week of fasting and prayer, gathering every night to bring our requests to God. We recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning how to apply a tourniquet, stop bleeding, apply bandages, and manage airways. These lay people aren't going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbour if necessary. And if necessary, the church premises can be turned into a shelter. His final paragraph, we have decided to stay both as a family and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nation We still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. We will shelter the weak, serve the suffering, and mend the broken. And as we do, we offer the unshakable hope of Christ and His gospel. Wow. What a church. What messengers. Would you bow your heads together with me as we close in prayer? The Word of God has been declared. We put ourselves under the spotlight and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Convict me. And help me be your Gospel messenger. I'm going to ask you right now to arise quietly to your feet. As we stand in the Holy Presence of God, in this moment of closing worship, just stand, yes. I'm going to ask you to do two things and trust me, you will not be embarrassing. The first thing I'm going to lead you to do is that would you put up your hands, palms up before God. What does this represent? Palms up before God, your hands. This represents that we have all received the precious Gospel. It's in our hands and in our hearts. And I trust He has changed us, transformed us, give us a new meaning, new purpose in our life. I trust He has been. That's why we say, Lord, thank you. We receive the precious gospel in our hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now I ask you to do the next thing. Just raise your hands up to God, both hands. Just raise up to God as high as you want to. That's up to you. What does this represent? This represent right now, Lord, make me your gospel messengers. Because the mandate to be God's messenger is not an option. The day we believe in Jesus, He has drafted us into His army. And He has said to us right now, be witnesses of God wherever you are. You're no longer your own. You belong to me. And therefore, represent me. Represent me wherever you are to be my gospel messenger. And i prayer, pray, Lord, thank you and make me therefore your pure and genuine messengers of God. Help me to be legit, credible witnesses of God because we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ transform and change lives. And as He did so for us, He will do so for our family, our friends, and this world. And so we say, Lord, cause us to go forth and make a difference, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship God with this closing song.
1: Everything we have
0: family as we remain standing with our hands lifted up and our eyes looking to heaven, I'm going to read us again the quote by Billy Graham that says that we are the Bibles the world is reading, the creeds the world is needing, the sermons the world is heeding. And as we come to this final conclusion of our service, I want just to give us a moment right now as we look to the Lord. Who is that one person, just one, at home or at your workplace, in school, in your neighbourhood, God is saying, I'm sending you, I'm sending you as a messenger to this person, and would you quietly respond to the Lord not to say, God, send me, send me as that sermon, send me as that Bible, send me as the creed that will see and hear and know. receive the blessing from the Lord now. Father God, we ask by your Spirit, anoint and send us forth, O Lord, as your messengers, that we may be the Bible our friends and family will read, the creed they will see lived out through our choices and our words and our actions, the sermon they will hear through our lives and act upon and come to faith. And therefore now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, grace that led him to the cross for our sins, The love of God our Heavenly Father, love that does not let us go but pursues us to the end, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. Be with us all as we go forth to do faith exploits for Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we say together, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning for our service together. We look forward to have you. And uh, for those of us who are online, the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you, and look forward to have you back next week. God bless. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892 6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your
1: spiritual pilgrimage ahead.